When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, fight fans. Sean Bastow from BTR Boxing Podcast. Just before we get into the episode, we just need to give a quick shout out to the sponsors for the podcast, Bear Attack Boxing. Now, you need to go over and check out their high quality boxing gloves. They're even in boxing monthly in the past two months on a row. Get in there, check it all out, check the brilliant quality products that they're doing. Great boxing gloves, great sparring gloves, different sizes, different colours. You know the score. Go and have a look at them, www.bearattackboxing.co.uk. Follow them, Bear Attack Boxing, on Instagram, on Facebook, at Attack Boxing on Twitter. Go and check out them high-quality boxing gloves. And just before we get into this episode, I just want to tell you guys to go over and subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Podbean, Stitcher, Player FM, TuneIn, Spotify, YouTube, we're everywhere. If you are subscribed to us already, please go over and leave us a rating because it really helps us get up that independent podcast ranking. And it is a very difficult job when you're not backed by the likes of Sky or the BBC or any of the great media outlets that are out there so please go over give us a rating share it with your friends on facebook tag us in it we'll be running some competition soon please get over there and subscribe leave a rating leave a review it really all helps enjoy the episode fight fans I've seen all your fights. I know everything that you do. Are you a better boxer than me? Yes. Technically, very 100%. good. 100%. Yeah, okay. 100%. Okay. So you're tougher, you're stronger, you're a better boxer than me. And I'm better looking. <laughs> you're outgunned in every single department, my friend. And on February 23rd... Even Gabriel's laughing at you. Gabriel Even Gabriel's going, ah, da, da. Well, you are so deluded and so delusional. He's actually embarrassing. February 23rd... Chris, it's so embarrassing. 
And I you can't will wait like to say. I can't wait to take to school because after this, you're going to have to knock it on. Just, just in terms uh. of. Welcome, fight fans, to another episode of BTR Boxing Podcast with me, Sean Basto, and co-host Jordy Neald. This is the preview episode for James DeGale versus Chris Eubank Jr. So we're going to be talking about this big super middleweight fight coming up this weekend. We're going to talk about the undercard, and then we're also going to react to some of the news and gossip that have been coming out over the past few days. Jordy, how are you doing? It's been a while. Yeah, I've just got to say that it feels like it's been a feels like it's been a long time, but uh, the boxing's not really picked up yet, apart from a couple of the overseas stuff. But you know, from this, we sort of get going again. Absolutely, it's, we we always try and talk about like what's what's going on in the boxing world in some of the little episodes, but the last twenty four hours alone, I think, have been quite significant to some of the developments, which we'll touch on later on. But predominantly, we're here to talk about the the, the boxing season really kicking off this weekend with James DeGale going against Chris Eubank Jr. with a very lightly regarded IBO world title on the line. Probably not really of significance for the fight, but it's there. It's going to be interesting to see how this goes down. I think we'll, as we always do, we'll talk about the the lead-up to this fight, the build-up to the fight. We'll we'll talk about how we think the fight is going to go down and we'll talk about what our initial predictions are for how it goes down. And and then the aftermath, because I think the aftermath of this is going to be quite relevant and, and significant to either fighter to be honest so Jordi really coming to you what do you think about this fight now it's fight week and now it's here what are your your sort of reactions to it well I think it's an um, it's an interesting fight it's probably right in terms of saying you know where does the loser go I know Eubank retired regardless but if Eubank does lose you know his career at that sort of level in terms of pay-per-view or I mean I guess he'll always headline because of his name but you know in terms of being an actual prominent can't see it. I can't see it anyway from a personal point. But you know, if he was to add another loss at that level, I just think it's a long, a very long road back from him. And obviously, the girls are for both amateur and professional. So you know, there's only so long you can go on. I think. I think you might see um, a sort of the Gale retirement win or lose. If I'm totally honest, unless he sort of hangs on for maybe a Billy Joe fight after that, after the, all that's come out. But. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see that much of James DeGale and I wouldn't be surprised if he was to sort of pack it in, win or lose, to be honest. Interesting comment, that, to be honest. I think uh, I think we, we always say people are quick enough to jump on the bandwagon of, of people sort of retiring if they have a bad performance, but I think going through James DeGale's last 18 months, you've got to consider the fights that he has been involved with and he won the IBF title back in 2015 against Andre Durrell, which was a very close fight. It turned out to be a, yeah. a difficult fight for him and then you've got to think about the fight with Lucien Butte. It was a very close fight. And then you think about the draw with Badu Jack, where he lost a tooth. I think it was his tooth or tooth front teeth. He, yeah. you know, he'd, he he was has a lot of tough fights. And I don't, I, I'm a massive fan of James Gale. I, I sort of always have been. But in terms of James Gale, the boxer, and I think it, I wouldn't like to see him go out sort of sliding down. And I think he can probably say he feels fresh as much as he wants, but he won't really know until, you know, I can see it probably going 12 rounds Saturday. So. You know, I don't think he really know until the end of them 12 rounds sort of thing or at the end of the fight. But, yeah, I don't think James DeGale would put himself in a position to go out at a lower level. You know, if James DeGale was to bow out on Saturday, you know, it's still, you know, as you say, it's a lightly regarded IBO. But on his on his CV, he'd still be going out at a very respectable level. And I think that, for James DeGale's ego more than anything, I think that would be uh, satisfying for him. I don't think he'd enjoy going out on, you know, stacked away on someone's undercard. 
I think the first sort of things I think of when I think of James DeGale is, do I really think that he's fulfilled his potential? And quite frankly, I don't know. I don't think he has. I think winning the IBF title, yeah, fantastic. But you think of the struggles that I was referring to before, uh, losing to to Truax as well, and then winning it back, and then now he's 33, and what you're saying to me there is that if he go if he goes out even winning a lightly regarded title he'll still be a, an achievement for him but do you really think I, I think he's not fulfilled his potential i don't think he will yeah but i think it's it's easy to say because it, it, you know he's a he's a gold medalist he's a British champion commonwealth champion european champion two time world champion even if you say it's only Caleb Truax it goes down in his two time world champion so for anyone else that's sort of a, a great career i don't think he gets the credit he gets. But I think because of his pedigree and you know because of how talented talented he is, people will just always want more. It, you've got. To, I look at it in the way that everyone said when George Groves retired the other week, everyone was what a career, what a guy, what a you know what a credit to the sport. And the, the only thing he's got over James DeGale, apart from the the win very early on in the career, is the he reached that level of having a massive grudge match and doing a big pay per view thing. I, th- I don't think James Leo gets the credit because he's never quite endeared himself to the British fans for one reason or another, and I think that's why people sort of, you know, sort of look down on his achievement—not look down, but sort of downplay his achievements. Whereas if it was anyone else, it would be such a great career, and he'd be, you know, he'd be revered for it. But yeah, I think in terms of accolades, he can't have had much more from his career. But I just think if he could do it all over again, he probably would want to be more loved by the British fans than he is. When you put it like that, when you put it like listing off what he has actually won on paper, it's it's a fantastic achievement, and anybody that retires on that really is fulfilled a potential. But when you compare it to Groves' career, uh, making them comparisons that you were there, my my only sort of factor with Ged Gale is the legacy factor and what sort of legacy he leaves behind if he win, lose or draw against Eubank. Yeah, okay, Groves lost in some of his big significant fights, but you can certainly say he was in there with some of the best that the division had to offer win, lose or draw, whereas I don't feel like DeGale has. I mean, when he fought Durrell, I don't think Durrell was anywhere near his best. Uh, Lucien Boutet, for me, even though it was a great performance from Boutet in that fight, was probably past his best. Uh, Badu Jack, I'd probably say is the fighter on that record that he's got where I could say he's probably an elite level fighter and obviously we've seen how his career has gone on to go he had that loss recently so when I, when I look at his record and I think well what has he done to define his legacy compared to when you compare it to George Rose I, 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 prefer, I mean this is a personal preference this you know this is not what I'm saying is is the right thing this is my personal preference of the both fighters is that when you're make that when you're making that comparison to Groves I think Groves has got a better resume uh, even though he obviously had lost to, to the likes of Frotch twice and you know he lost to Badu Jack I feel like he was in with the better calibre of fighters overall on, through his career and we're to- I'm talking like Decales retired and he hasn't and he could come and come in there on Saturday and, and prove everybody wrong shut me right up and, and go on and have a few more great fights before he does retire but 
at this moment in time if i was to assess it based on that at the moment i would say making that comparison of groves and de gale i think groves has probably had the better career because of where he's been who he's been in the ring with and what he did eventually achieve and when you said de gale's had british british commonwealth european ibf title twice it is a fantastic achievement and i'm not downplaying that by any stretch of the imagination i'm just sort of making a little comparison as to what you mentioned there and how i personally feel about where the two fighters legacies are at but anyway that's enough for me waffling on about that i just wanted to sort of point that out where what, what you were saying about the comparison between the two but yeah what- i think i think you are what you're saying i mean but you know on the flip side there's an argument this isn't a gross and the girl thing we're just off on a tangent but there's an argument that every time and you know we probably discussed that to look house come and they're probably thing for each other's career even though we only seen them fight early on but um i think a lot of james's problems are the fact that he's uh, not as liked as he should be by the british fans but one benefit he has got is that he's fighting someone on saturday who's even less liked <laughs> so you know he's he's gonna be he's, he's probably gonna be the one in the ring who's getting cheered the most and he hasn't had that very often james the gale <laughs> that's true I, I totally agree with you on that point uh, Eubank then let's move over to Eubank and it's oh man the, the man is uh, he's Marmite he's just Marmite packaged into the form of a boxer you either love the guy or you hate the guy that is it with him you either love the way he is or you hate the way he is and uh, I, I want to I want to like him I really do want to like him but I just feel like he, he he talks too much and he doesn't back up that talk enough and whereas his father before him was able to back that up Eubank Jr. has not been able to do that. You've got to think of the occasions where he really hyped himself up and then he just fell flat on his face in the fights. Yes, he's only had them two losses to Groves and to Billy Joe Saunders, but again, he, he hyped himself so much. I think a lot of the time he, he overbelieves his hype and that's partly where the problem comes from is he goes into the ring too overconfident and I know when you get in the ring you're not really supposed to show too much respect to your opponent but I feel like he doesn't show any sort of respect to them whatsoever and I think he overlooks everything that they do and the, the people he surrounds himself with are, are part and parcel of the problem and I, I, again when I talk about legacy and potentials he's definitely one fighter that as young as he is and the fact that he could come again after Saturday I still don't think he's he's probably ever going to reach it is he 20 why is he now is he 28, 29? I know he's still going, going about calling himself next gen, but I've never really been a massive fan of Chris Eubank Jr. Um, probably more the fact that I'm not a fan of him at the ring more than inside because he's been in some exciting fights, but he's sort of, I think he's got hype for no reason other than his dad, but I think his dad's the biggest people do. But his career, he saw to me, he's just a flat track bully, really. You know, he beats people who are sort of not on his level and he'll do the, the old snarling and the posing and stuff like that. But the actual substance behind the fights that actually matter, much there, I think, in my opinion, his best wins probably Spike Sullivan, who, you know, since has been destroyed by David Lemieux. I think he got beat, you know, convincingly the both times he got to anywhere near world level with Billy Joe and George Groves. So I think... At a British level and just above British level, yeah, he's a good fighter, but I think he's only mentioned with 
world-class names because of his name, not because of anything that he's done in his career, amateur or pro. I think it's a fair assessment, to be honest. I I don't really disagree with with you on that. I mean, I feel like when he beat uh, Abraham, Arthur Abraham, there's one name that obviously... He's very notable on his record for what he did in the middleweight division, but he never made an impact up at super middleweight. So at the time he fought him two years ago, again, a lot of people will always agree that he was past his best. So that is a very good name to have on his record, a very good name. But again, like you say, when he beat Spike O'Sullivan at the time, Spike O'Sullivan was a very, very great prospect. But again, you know, he's gone on to, to, to not do as much as what was expected of him. And you've got to look at who else he's beaten. You know, he beat Reynold Quinlan uh, to win the IBO title. He beat Abraham. He beat Yildirim, which was a great win, great knockout win. It was a very rough fight at the time when he got a great punch off, and that was the end of that. But, you know, he got beat off Groves. Well, if Groves on and wins that, then fit play. But, you know, I can't really... I can't... It- don't have him down as a world beater and I just think you know a lot of his record just doesn't have that much substance behind it and I can understand why there's a case for him this weekend in terms of people thinking the girls on the slide but I think there's such a there's such a gulf in natural talent and such a gulf in pedigree and experience I just think if the girls even 60% of the fight that he was he wants I just can't see how Eubank wins I think that leads us nicely on to the next part, really, of where we would go down with this episode. And that's really starting to talk about the keys to victory for both men. And you you kind of said it quite nicely there when you suggested that, you know, if DeGale is anything less than sort of 60%, you can't really see a win for for Eubank because of DeGale's skills. And that's really where where I wanted to start with keys to victory is is DeGale. And if we're talking about a DeGale who has got something left in the tank what would you see him doing in this fight to to, to, to negate Chris Eubank Jr I think he obviously if he uses his feet then I don't see how Eubank can sort of deal with that and I know that sounds very basic but you know no one's going to convince me that um, Eubank's new trainer Nate Vasquez has come in and you know after the way Chris Eubank fights and he's now going to have this flittering footwork and he's going to be sort of boxing his way to a victory I just don't see it I think the only way Eubank wins is if the girl does the old thing he's done a couple of times. Just I can see in the back of my mind not where he sort of stays on the ropes and just sort of covers up and is a bit lazy. But I don't know if that's because of his injuries. But yeah, I think if the girl boxes just naturally the way the way he does and just keeps himself active around the ring and sort of just picks Eubank Junior off until he gets desperate, then I think he'll it, it could play very very similar to the George Groves fight in my opinion. I think there'd be a couple of hairy moments for the girl in terms of swinging and you know. Just yeah, we'll basically swing him from from thing and just hoping that he catches him. I think there could be a couple of them moments, but I think on the whole, if the girl boxes, he doesn't have to be the best James the Green. I think he needs to be fifty percent of the James the Girl we once seen to win this fight and win this fight pretty comfortably to be honest. I think we've always agreed that DeGale has got the natural ability to be able to completely outbox Chris Eubank Jr. And if he has got another year or two left in the tank, then I could see that being uh, you know, a big factor on the night, and that's where I'd, I'd, I'd basically say the key to victory is for DeGale is to to be very, very slick, very try and be very slick and sharp and counter as as Eubank is going to come storming forward, which we know is is going to happen. So you know that that really sort of sums it up in a nutshell for DeGale. You can't really say too much more about what his keys to victory are because we know what his strengths are and we know what his weaknesses can be. And I just hope that he he, he, motiv- he is motivated enough for this fight to. 
to to not let the the sort of second half of the fight get away with him because that's one thing I've noticed that Gale does a lot of in these big fights. He's you know you'll have a great first six rounds, but then the second half of the fight he starts to fade a little bit. Whether that's a stamina issue or whether that's uh, concentration, I, I I don't know. But it, it, second half of a big fight, he seems to fade away, and that's where the other fighters come back into it. And it really, when you look at uh, DeGale, if you look at him being able to accomplish that for twelve rounds, the way he starts a fight, you'd expect a shutout decision. But it always ends up being more competitive than what it probably needs to be for him. So if he's going to win this fight, he needs to be as switched on as possible at all times, and and be slick and sharp, and just step away from. Eubank Jr., which he knows he can do. He knows he's got the speed to do it. I think Eubank Jr. has also got very good speed, and I think this is where we kind of move over now and start talking about Eubank's keys to victory. He's got some some brilliant speed. He's got brilliant attacking attributes as a fighter, but what lets him down is... is He's just, again, he's just another one. He just loses his concentration, becomes too brash and too arrogant in the fight. And then his footwork starts to go on the slide a little bit. And I know controversial comments made over the past week about Eubank Jr.'s footwork apparently isn't great. What do you make of, of Eubank Jr. as a fighter? And what do you think his keys to victory would be against DeGale on Saturday? I think he's a Titan in terms of when he's got someone to just tee off on. I mean, I can't for the life of me think the girl's going to just stand there and let him tee off nine and ten punch combinations because, you know, that's when Eubank looks good. I don't think, you know, his footwork isn't the best. You know, he doesn't really set up his attacks very, very good at this level. Sort of, you know, just it's just one and two punches and hoping that he, he walks his opponent onto something big as he tried to do with George Grove. But I think we, we've said it loads of times about Eubank in fights, his work rate's going to win it for him and, you know, his ferociousness and he's going to tie them down. But, you know, we're yet to see it. But I think he's got to hope that the Gale has slipped a little bit. And he's also got to hope that the Gale is sort of just the injuries have just been too much. And, you know, he, he hopes that he's going to get the Gale in that, in that position where, you know, the Gale's on the ropes, very similar to the way he was with Caleb Truer. And he's just sort of eating uppercuts because, you know, Eubank has got a brilliant uppercut and, you know, he does carry very good power, but he's the smaller man in the night. He'd probably be, you know, quite quite noticeably smaller because, you know, he's com- campaigned most of his career at middleweight. And we've, you know, we've talked in the past about James Dale maybe being a light heavyweight so or being able to fight at light heavyweight. So I think there'd be quite a big size difference. So I'm not sure how that's going to play out in terms of power. But yeah, I think Eubank needs to hope uh, the Gale has slipped a little bit. And, you know, the fact that he'd just be too fresh and too too active for the Gale. But yeah, I think in my opinion, I just think the Gale's a bigger, stronger baller of boxing. I think, you know, nine times out of ten, that, that'll be enough to get him through. And yeah, I think he's a... So it's a issue you've sort of made for the Prime de Gale, but we've just got to see if we do get a Prime de Gale on the night. So predictions then, let's move into the prediction side of things before we get into some of the notable fights on the undercard of this bill. So I'll obviously start off with my prediction for this fight. I have been sat on the fence for quite a while about it, to be honest, because I'm always one of them with this fight where I can sit here and say, oh, well, if the Gale comes in at you know 75% of his normal self, he'll still beat Eubank Jr., <sighs> 
I think I've gone with the fact that I'm going to stick to my guns and I'm going to say I think De Gale will outbox him over 12 rounds, over the distance. It'll be a close, competitive fight, like I was alluding to a bit earlier when I was saying how he switches off in the second half of fights De Gale and lets it become more competitive. I think that'll be the case. I think Eubank will probably try to come out and you know try to get in his face very early on, try to get that pressure very early on, the same way he did against Groves, but ultimately I can see James DeGale being very slick, very sharp, uh, and probably looking better than he has done in his past couple of fights, and maybe giving us a glimmer of hope that he may once again have a shot at a genuine world title in the super middleweight division. That's where I see this going down on Saturday night. What about you? Yeah, I think um, I'm going to obviously go for DeGale. I think he's going to win, but I think I can see a couple of very hairy moments, and I think the one thing you can't take away from Chris Eubank Jr. is that is how big his heart is. I think I don't think he'll stop. You know, he'll he'll keep going and going until he's sort of <laughs> pulled out of there. But I think I think it'll go all the way. And I think um, James the Gale on a split decision. I know that's quite particular, but I uh, I was looking at the betting sort of the past couple of days and seen a sort of price for James the Gale on a split about fourteen to one. So it'd be my bet for the night to keep it interesting. But I think Eubanks. Um, work rate will win him some rounds especially late on and I think yeah I just uh, fancy James just to come through so let's move on then to the undercard and talk about some of the fights that we've got there. So we're going to see a heavyweight fight on the undercard of Joe Joyce facing off against Bermain Stiverne. I think we have spoke about this before on the air on one of the episodes we've done and it's a great step up for Joe Joyce. In my opinion, I, I feel like it's a great name on his record, but I really don't see anything other than a Joe Joyce win because I feel Stiverne has been out for too long. He wasn't in shape against Wilder. He looked terrible against Wilder and I think Joe Joyce will probably steamroll his way through Stiverne the same way he did against Lenroy Thomas who fights in a similar fashion to Bermain Stiverne so with him being that out for that long I don't know how much motivation and dedication he's got left in the tank and I think Joe Joyce will steamroll through him within three rounds and I think we'll start to get on the Joe Joyce train a little bit more as the names start to come on his resume what do you what are your thoughts on this now now it's here do you think it's going to be pretty one-sided do you think Joe Joyce will just demolish him within a few rounds or do you think a Stavern yeah. might turn up? No, I think it's a it's a brilliant bit of matchmaking. I think people will probably forget the fight quite quickly because it might be over quite quickly, but I think, you know, looking on Joe Joyce's record in a couple of months or, you know, just looking back, it's a good name to have. You know, you can't argue at the level the main Stavern's been at, but I'm with you, I just don't know what sort of motivation he's got left. And I think Joe Joyce is sort of on that upward curve at the moment. I think he is going to be tested soon, but I just don't think this is the this is the fight where he is going to be tested. At. I can see him looking quite devastating and maybe stealing the show in terms of you know a knockout. But yeah, I think it's exciting. He's an exciting uh, talent, Joe Joyce. He's old and not old, but you know he's getting on in terms of he's got to he's got to be fast track quite quickly. And this is just the perfect little segue into big fights. I think. Yeah, I agree. And that's what I've been asking for for a little while, to be honest with you. With him being 33 years of age now, they need to push him on pretty quickly if they are going to make him into a genuine heavyweight contender in the next 18 months. So, yeah, hopefully he will come through this fight and we will get to see him start to creep up in the mix of heavyweights, which is a buzzing scene at the moment. Moving on to Lee Selby's return, he's moving up two weights to 
fight at lightweight uh, against Omar Douglas on Saturday night, which nobody will really know of Omar Douglas, to be honest with you. There's a couple of names on his record, uh, Edna Cherry and Javier Fortuna, a couple of years back, but again, fighters that will probably pass their best at the time he fought them. So I, I'm expecting it to be a test your waters kind of situation at the lightweight division to see whether moving up away how dramatic of an impact it's had on Selby's boxing, well, probably punching power, I wouldn't say boxing, punching power is more what I was thinking, uh, how much of that will be affected, will he have some punching power up at lightweight, because he's put that extra weight on, will he still be able to be as fast and as slick as he was, these are the questions we're going to want answers to on Saturday night, but I'm glad to see him back, I'm glad that they've admitted there was an issue with the weight because I think for a couple of fights prior to Warrington I was always a bit sketchy about whether he was going to be able to keep at that weight for for a long period of time but he's also at the age I think he's 31, 32 Selby so I think he's at a career point I can't even get my words out today career point where we want to see him now jump straight back into world level because we know he, he is world level and he was world level down at featherweight can he be world level at lightweight Jordy? yeah I think I'm, I'm really buzzing to see Lisa I'll be back I'm a massive fan I think you know his performance against Josh Warrington in defeat has only been boosted since when we've seen the sort of the year the year last year that Josh Warrington had and you know Selby we've always known he's talented he's flashy he's got you know great combinations and that but he showed in that fight that he's also got massive heart and you know he's he's made of, of proper stuff and I think he's such a good addition to the lightweight division but I think Saturday's just one of them for Lee Selby it's just about getting you know back in the changing room back in his ring walk and back in the ring under the lights and just seeing how he feels but you know what an addition and I think he'll walk into some really big fights and you know I wouldn't be surprised for one minute if Lee Selby makes some serious noise at lightweight well see I'm looking forward to it there is a couple of fights on the undercard uh, of note we've got Andre Sterling 9-0 and on there we've got Chris Congo as well another prospect coming out of the UK which I'm looking forward to seeing in action Sterling against Ricky Summers that's a good fight to be fair yeah I think I've not seen much Andre Sterling but obviously Ricky Summers is quite well known after being on the matchroom card so you know I think that might that's one that might sneak under the radar but could be a really good fight yeah no I agree I, t- I do agree I, I think I'm more personally I'm more looking forward to seeing how Selby does how Joe Joyce does and obviously the main event and you, like you say there that could be one that could really you know come to the forefront as one of the fights of the night it is a very good matchmaking well match made fight and I am looking forward to it as well uh, I, I felt like I didn't really give it any justice then until you chirped in I felt I've, I've completely sort of uh, overlooked that fight to be honest but it is a great fight. So, what else are we discussing on today's podcast episode for the preview? Well, there's so much stuff coming out that we felt like the it was the right time to start to discuss it because there's no right time than, than now, really, with all the news that's coming out. And I think I'll let you start, Jordi. I think I want you to start on the Tyson Fury situation today coming out, uh, the new signing that he's made. What are your thoughts on that? Just explain that to the listeners. Yeah, obviously, he's gone and um, signed a deal with ESPN and Top Rank, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, that's where his, his fights are going to be exclusively shown in the US. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, that means that we've now got Wilder, Joshua and Fury all signed up to different um, broadcasters, which means we're further away than ever than seeing them fight. Yeah. Um, you know, boxing's run by politics, obviously, and if there was one division that didn't need any more politics, it's probably the heavyweight division. You know, I think we're in real danger now of 
obviously we've seen Fury Wilder one, but I think we're in real danger of never seeing them three sort of get it on again. You know, it's all right when sort of Frank Warden and Eddie Hearn are having little arguments and stuff, but you know, these companies that are behind broadcasting, you know, it's not it's not just petty debates with them, you know, it's millions and millions of pounds and, you know, big massive established companies, they they don't just back down because fans want to see fights. So yeah, it's great for Fury, great for him. Um, his, his bank balance but I think the uh, the fans are the only ones who lose out and I am gutted to be honest because I thought Fiori was the sort of you know I'm not saying he was he's like the people's champion or nothing like that but I thought he was the one that was really not that put out by the politics in terms of getting fights done but it looks to me like he's just put himself in a position where you know it, it's, I'm not saying he's ducked Wilder but he's not exactly begging for the Wilder fight no more so you know that you've got to look at maybe what that fight's took out of him but he's um, he's put himself you know miles and miles and miles away from making a Joshua fight and obviously miles away from making a Wilder one now so you know I'm looking forward to seeing maybe uh, Tyson Fury against Christian Hammer again or something like that but you know we're, we're the only losers really yeah we are the only losers it's seemingly a strange decision to be honest and when I was doing the weekend phoning show yesterday I was talking about the fact that there was announcement today and there was rumours that it was going to be announced of Wilder Fury 2 but seemingly now I mean actually as I'm speaking people are still posting it in boxing groups and social media that, that it is happening on May the 18th but I don't don't know where they're getting their information from but this looks farther from the truth to be honest with you like this deal like you say puts them on all all three of them on different networks so as a result you're going to find it difficult for them to work together and the, the manager of what man. they're not going to work no no you're right it's just these broadcasters don't just don't just sit down and go oh yeah go on you take all the revenue and put the fight on your channel it just doesn't work as we want it to you know the multi multi-million pound that we're talking about and you know it just like I said people people love Fiori and hate Joshua and they're like oh yeah look they, look at Fiori's now the man but Fiori might well be the man today but you know his, his options are massively limited now and Frank Wadden had that little press conference today it was the most disastrous thing I've ever seen <laughs> he announced that which backfired Billy Joe fighting you know the guy who's ranked number two in inverted commas for the super middleweight belt he's cancelled his show and he had the yard spouting as you in the best light every week to ever walk. So, yeah, I, I watched about 10 minutes and turned off. It was disastrous. <laughs> it, it wasn't a great day. And I think uh, some of the stuff that's coming out on social media, even now people are tweeting about that conference today and saying, you know, is Frank Warren the worst promoter? That's just one tweet I've just read as we're recording this. And I'm thinking he's not done himself any favours with this today. The fact that we've got uh, this wilder rematch in jeopardy. Although I've just read that apparently Shelley Finkel, the co-manager of Wilder, said they're still interested in doing a deal. And they're willing to try and get the, uh, the, the work between Showtime and ESPN on the fight, which I know you've just said it there about him not wanting to work together. It's a very difficult situation. I think there's only one occasion where I can ever remember broadcasters working together, and that was Lewis Tyson, 2002. I think that's the only time I ever remember two broadcasters yeah. working together. And that amount of time between them just shows how difficult it is. And, you know, 2000 ago and things have progressed since then, you know, people did this. I think we all got to get really comfortable with the fact that we're not going to see these big super fights that we want. And, you know, yeah, we're going to see Joshua Miller, and then we'll probably see Wilder Brazil. White will probably, you know, end up fight. Might even end up fighting Fury, and you know, we'll just see these three sort of at the top of the tree fighting, you know, B-list fighters, and then 
there'll be a show on TV in about ten years with them three sitting around going, "Oh, we could have, we could have." Well, we see two of them fight when they're about forty-five, like we usually do. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? I mean, you touched on Billy Joe Saunders there against. Uh, I've never heard of this fighter whatsoever, so apologies for anybody that has and has got more knowledge than me. But I have never heard of Shafa Isufi. I've never heard of him at all. So when I seen that get announced today, I was like. Who? <laughs> Who's he fighting? Who's this guy? Yeah, I don't want, I, you know, I, I sort of, when I, you know, Jesus Christ, that one that slipped under sort of my radar, I bet everyone knows who he is and stuff, stuff like that, I tried to keep it quiet, but, you know, after about 10 minutes, it came quite clear that absolutely no one had a clue who he was, but it's, um, it's a bit of a strange one, I think it's good for Billy Joe, be a two-weight world champion and, you know, cash in, but, um, He's got some big fights. Probably, you know, he'll be looking at maybe a Chris Eubank Jr. going through the rematch, or I can't see him going there. Carl Smith, just just a size difference is just too much. But you know, we could maybe fight, you know, Darrell Yilmaz, wins that, or Caleb Plant. He probably sees it as a good opportunity. But yeah, it's probably one of the most baffling world title fights I've, I can remember, to be honest. And we've seen some shockers. What do you make of uh, Alexander Povetkin and Alexander Usyk for Usyk's first fight at heavyweight? <laughs> I think that just shows no. U6, the one that we can all hope is the, you know, can come in and just trump the three who are set at the top of the heavyweight division. Now, I think you probably can't ask for a tougher test outside of the champions' first fight at a division, you know, and seeing how we deal with Pavekin because Pavekin's going to be a little bit older again. I'm not saying he's the fighter he was, but, you know, for the first fight in the division, it's quite, you know, in the back of my mind after I've heard all these um, announcements, I said, months and months ago that I thought um, Yusuf was the biggest threat to Anthony Joshua and I still believe that's right I think the, I don't think they'll let Yusuf anywhere near Joshua you know if he gets if he can get his hand on Wilder he could be the one that's just going to blow this whole division open and you know as much as we want to see the super fight obviously they're going to happen now we need someone to blow the division open and get you know get some belts freed up yeah it's funny that like, you say that because uh, I read a tweet again I'm referring to sort of the stuff that's come out on Twitter today. I read one today saying, Marvin Hagler, his comments about world titles in boxing today, and this is a quote from him. He's put, Now they have so much, they throw them away like candy. It was a long, hard road in my day. You'd have to kill me to take it. Most champions these days, they come and go. They confuse the public who do not know who the real champion is. True, mate. And, you know, you can't... One, you don't want to argue with Marvin and two, you can't really argue with that point that he's just given. It, it is, it is a joke. You know, we've got governing bodies like the WBA who make titles for every other every other Sunday, but it's sort of it's the way that the, the game's going. It's it's sort of becoming farcical in some divisions, and you know we've only got to hope. We just got to hope that in between broadcasters and belts and splits that we can just some, somehow find the sport again. Broadcasters belts and bullshit. That's the title for the episode. I'm telling you, <laughs> if it wasn't a Eubank uh, DeGale preview, that's what I'd be naming it as: broadcasters belts and bullshit. Because this is exactly what it is at the moment, and I, I can't. I, I did, we've, we've said it before. How many times have we sat here on an episode and bitched and moaned about the, these situations, and, and yet we're seeing it again? And it just it's just so frustrating. And for me now, it's like. Poor, poor Deontay Wilder now has to look at who he's potentially going to fight next. And three of the names that were were spoke about today were Brazil, who's a mandatory. I don't know why he's mandatory. He shouldn't be mandatory. We've got Dillian White, 
who's on the scrap heap of Matchroom's B team. And then we've also got uh, Adam Konowaki as well, the the Polish heavyweight who's been doing really, really well, who beat Charles Martin a couple of months back. So there are three names that he's going to have to consider fighting now as well. So it's really, this announcement today is just kind of, it's, whilst we felt like it was potentially going to be the, the rematch happening, it's just pissed all over the fans, really. The fans that wanted to see these big fights, it's, you know, like you said, we're we're losing out. We're the ones that are losing out now because we're probably not going to get to see him maybe for another 18, 24 months. And by that time, you're just going to get more and more frustrated with it. And that's why people start to, I feel, that's why people start to sort of shy away from following the big fighters and why people like AJ have had so much shit for the Miller announcement because... He put a poll out months ago saying, who do you want me to fight next? Wilder, Fury or White? And then everyone votes for Wilder and then we get Jarrell Miller instead. So when the when the fighters do stuff like that themselves, they really don't help themselves when these types of things happen because, uh, you know... Um, uh, yeah, Frank Warden will be uh, getting a text from Eddie Ayn tonight. I think Eddie's saying thanks for that because he was getting a load of, a load of crap about, you know, the fact that he published that. You know, where Wilder and him, Fury were after 22 fights, and then he said it was selling, you know, event in America or whatever, and it was most of them were on StubHub, and he was getting a load of stick for, for days, but then Frank just comes out and just takes all the heat. I think uh, Frank's it's really backfired on the free heavyweights. They had a ch- it's not a foregone conclusion yet, but they had a chance to really, you know, really build a legacy and for people to be speaking about this little. You know, tripod of fights for you know in years and years to come, but that obviously just looks like it's going to fade into the abyss now. Pretty much with these fighters, if they if they just spend the rest of their career fighting B level fighters. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, anything else on your mind then this week? Now you're back on Jordy. Any other thoughts on any of the news that's come out? You no, know, it's just been a bit of a. It's getting a bit of a long one to sort of, you know, when we're in the in the autumn and the summer, we feel. Like fights all the time and you know there's a fight week every week and it's just been a bit of a slow burner this year after we had the obviously the Ted Cheeseman thing but you know I just can't wait for this weekend and just as we match you know the fights start coming thick and fast and you know one thing I did see is Lopez who we spoke about quite a lot sort of saying that he, there's a couple of ways to beat Lomachenko so I look forward to him showing us them <laughs> <laughs> yeah just you know, it, it's really starting to heat up again and that's exactly what we want yeah, absolutely. It's it, like you say. We've said it for a couple of weeks. It's been a bit hit and miss, and obviously the 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 episode output has slowed down. So for the guys that have been used to listening to three or four a week, uh, it's slowed right down. We've not got as many people on for the ones to watch. We need to get some more people on before we end that season. We've got the promoter life, and obviously we've got our weekly episodes. But with there being not a great deal of stuff going on over the past few weekends, there's not really been a lot to to react to other than the bits and bats of news which was kind of covered off in, in this preview for DeGale and Eubank so we've got our legendary nights episodes which are going to be reigniting for 2019 we're going to have Hatton versus Sue and we're also going to have Frotch versus Grove which have been voted for by the followers on Twitter so guys it's been a great episode to preview this big fight to kick off the boxing season i hope you've enjoyed listening uh, you need to get over as always and find us on the socials which is at btr boxing pod on twitter btr boxing podcast on facebook and every single podcasting app out there we're on it so if you've not already been on and rated us on any of them go and do it go and subscribe on any of your preferred platforms to listen to the episodes and they'll come direct to your phone every time there's a new one that pops up on the apps so 
Jordi, any final thoughts before we get into the end of this episode for De Gale versus Eubank? No, just reiterate my little tip for um, James De Gale to win on split decision, uh, 12 to 1 or 14 to 1 in some places. So, yeah, people have a go with that if you want to have a laugh. But, um, yeah, it's a good fight, good card, and just can't wait to get going again. Well, that's it, guys. Thank you very much for listening to this episode and this preview for James De Gale versus Chris Eubank Jr. This coming Saturday on ITV Box Office. I hope you've enjoyed the episode. Please let us know uh, if there's any thoughts, any questions. Find us on the socials. Thanks very much, Fight for fans and we'll see you in the next episode. Podcast Network.